Welcome to the Clinical Thinker podcast, and this is hosted by Dr. Jared Hall, Dr. Mark Cardula, and Ben Cormack, who are three clinicians dedicated to improving clinical reasoning, person-centered care, and utilizing evidence and science-based medicine. This is a podcast for those that like to think, and we will endeavor to discuss matters relevant to healthcare professionals across the spectrum of healthcare, from the latest evidence to controversial subjects affecting today's clinician, trying not to be too boring along the way. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Please seek the advice of appropriate professionals. So, welcome to episode 11 of the Clinical Thinker podcast. And as in the previous 10 episodes, I'm joined by Dr. Jared Hall, Dr. Mark Cardula, and myself, Mr. Ben Cormack, because that's the way we do it in the UK. Um, and we are going to be getting into it around social media and the whole kind of medical rehab, physio, um, therapy in general um, kind of area. So just thinking about, you know, one of the things we talked about was saying, um, is is uh, social media, is it good, is it bad, or is it downright ugly? Um, and so we're just going to have a little chat about that. Um, firstly, though, I just want to ask... You two gentlemen, what have you been up to recently? Anything exciting? Well, you know, nothing uh, too exciting. Uh, we're Jared and I are still rolling around. We have our uh, membership program going off, and we had good stuff going on with that. We had Peter O'Sullivan in this past month, which is always a um, treat to listen to Peter. I, I mean, it's super nerd out time for this guy, so it was interesting uh, hearing him talk and kind of respond to questions of group and stuff, but... Uh, other than that, uh, personal front, just uh, trying to keep up with my daughter as, as normal and trying to enjoy the weekends with the family and uh, keep my head above water throughout the week. Yeah. And, you, and yourself, Jared? Uh, nothing nothing too much different than what Mark was saying. I guess the big thing has been our, our kind of creating and helping content in our membership and, and have, you know, having Peter O'Sullivan on and preparing for next month and that sort of thing. But uh, I guess personally, I'll be... Um, I'll be heading out to Amsterdam and about a week and a half's time to uh, do a little bit of holiday in Belgium, and but also go out and uh, do a Le Pub Scientifique out there uh, with that crew. And really looking forward to that. We've kind of, I was going to go out there for the Dink Physio Conference, and of course that conference was postponed for a little while, but I'd already bought my flights. So we were able to work out something pretty nice where we're going to have a beer and chili night in Amsterdam. And we've we've rented out a little space in a in a local brewery there where I get to ramble on about pain and, and whatnot for four and a half hours. Very good. Are you going to sample all the delights that Amsterdam has to offer? Well, as many as my wife will allow me to. <laughs> it's I would describe Amsterdam as a very liberal city have you ever been either of you been to amsterdam before haven't no this will be my first time no negative so i think that's the good thing about living in london is that or, or not in london anymore but still quite close um the good thing is that it's like only 45 minutes on a flight um out to amsterdam so i've had the pleasure of um going a whole 
a bunch of times. And it's a, a pretty cool city. You can certainly do some interesting stuff. You can feed all your proclivities, of which I'm sure Jared and Mark um, have quite a few. <laughs> um, but for next month, I definitely want to hear some more exciting stuff, gentlemen. Some hot, uh, do a helicopter rides, some casinos, you know, some... Um, loose cars and fast women or maybe that's the other way around I can never remember um, yeah you, we need to get some I'm a 40 year old man who has to live vicariously through others and um, I certainly know that Jared's only a young man and so therefore you know he should still give us he should be feeding us tales of excitement right Mark uh, I believe so too uh, Ben I am also 40 and uh, I, I, I rely on Jared to uh, feel young so absolutely yeah I don't know you're letting us down Jared well, you, you guys know that that's for off-air. We can't talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> iTunes might take us off for explicit content. <laughs> now, I think we all know that's not quite true, don't we, Jared? Yeah, I'm pretty boring. <laughs> oh, we didn't mean it like that. What have I done? Oh, I um, I was with, uh, I was out at a, uh, a podiatry conference. I was the only speaker that had anything to do with above the feet, which was quite uh, interesting. And I got to speak to a thousand uh, podiatrists about pain in 15 minutes, which I don't really know was a blessing or a curse, to be honest with you. But one of the things I, I found really exciting, actually, was just, uh, you know, getting out there, talking to different professions and, you know, realizing that kind of, you know, we're all the same. Did you know that? No, it's impossible. There's no way. Those, those feet, <laughs> I don't trust feet people. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I did feel like that at the beginning, but I actually found out they're mostly normal. Feet people are mostly normal. I went with my uh, good friend Ian Griffiths, sports pod, all the way to Liverpool, um, and we uh, we had a curry and we had some beers and we had some talking. It was all very good. It was all very nice. Um, anyway, so let's crack on um, and just chat a little bit about social media and rehab and, and what we see out there across different platforms, et cetera. And I think most people listening um, to the podcast, and I think there is five actual confirmed listeners, which is cool. Um, most of the people listening will obviously, you know, have some aspect to do with social media and, and what have you. So, you know, what would you say the current state? And I'm going to throw it out there to Jared, because I know you had a recent um, debate, didn't you? An Oxford-style debate at a conference. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to, to, I guess, be selected because I'm maybe because I'm loud enough on social media to uh, to go to the the American Physical Therapy Association annual conference in uh, Chicago earlier this year and, and be on the panel for the Oxford debate, which the resolved statement or the topic of the Oxford debate this year was: uh, Is social media hazardous to the profession of physical therapy? And uh, I was. Uh, debating the pro side that social media is or can be hazardous, whereas our counterparts were debating that social media is not hazardous, and they were kind of debating the merits of social media as it relates back to uh, our kind of the rehab professions. It, it was a lot of fun, and it's a really, really interesting and emotionally charged topic once you start getting down into the nitty-gritty of it. So what would you say? I'm going to, I'm going to, put, uh, I'm going to get, put your balls on the chopping block here, Jared. Um, it's quite a small chopping block, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help that. Um, so what would you say the current state of play is with, with social media and the rehab professions? Oh, man, it's, it's really interesting because uh, I guess I've been 
a user of social media since you know the early days. I was one of the first people on Facebook way back in 2006 or whatever it was when you were first able to get on Facebook. And I've seen the evolution. And since I got into physio school and since I've been out of physio school, the one thing that I have noticed is that social media has become the primo place for uh, people to kind of brand themselves. So early on, I felt like social media was was really heavily based about, around interpersonal connections and discussions and long form debate, going deep on topics and, and sharing information and that sort of stuff, at least in the physio space. And I feel like in the last couple of years, and I'm certainly not excluded from this, it has become more a place to create a brand for yourself and sell to your peers or the public what it is that you think that you stand for or what it is that you think that you do. So it might not be nearly as, um, I guess, deep or, or as much in information translation as it is about information, the surface level information propagation. And that's my biased perspective, kind of what I see having been in it for several years in a row. I feel like the, the feel of it and the interaction has kind of changed. What about you, Mark? What's your thoughts on the current state of uh, social media? You know, I kind of echo what Jared says as far as it's kind of been more of a brand establishment uh, avenue uh, as of late and the kind of depth and maybe quality discussion sometimes can be lacking. But I think that also depends on what channel you're kind of interacting on. I think uh, I'm not a uh, Instagram's a big uh, uh outlet for us uh, at Modern Pain Care, and we do a lot of work with that, um, although I need to pick that up as a way. But um, it uh, isn't, doesn't allow for depth. It's very much, you know, graphical interface with, uh, you know, some occasional little, you know, pat on the back discussions in there. And, of course, the people that, you know, think you should be banned from practicing physio or whatever. Um, but then, you know, there's also mediums like, you know, Twitter, where I think, you know, you see some of the probably more preeminent researchers and thought leaders in our profession and other professions kind of uh, maybe more established and, you know, them bumping it up to, I think, 240 characters allows for a little bit more discussion, although, you know, never going to really have a perfect avenue for well-nuanced and detailed discussions. It all tends to be kind of, uh, you know, emotionally charged, uh, you know, statements that don't really allow for a lot of, uh, a lot of in-depth discussion, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thankful that social media and just seeing how it is today that uh, it took, I wasn't around in my earlier years where maybe my frontal lobe wasn't inhibiting my, uh, limbic system too much to (laughs) want to just go out and say stuff and be angry about things. And I still have my moments. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect by any means, but, um, I just, uh, am very thankful that, uh, some of my thoughts and frustrations earlier in my career aren't, you know, on the, on Twitter to be read by all, but you can still probably peek back at some of my stuff that I have said and, and uh, interacted in the past where I'm kind of, I cringe, but uh, you know, that's part of growing as a person and growing as a, um, you know, somebody who's learned how to better have professional discussions and dialogues to, you know, instead of just polarizing, maybe try to move some things forward, but it's a challenging space to navigate. That's for sure. Yeah, I definitely think it's changed and become more challenging. Or, or maybe, I don't know whether it's become more challenging. It's just, it's changed would be a better way to describe it. Um, for me, it's challenged me because it's changed, if that makes sense. You know, I have to be quite thankful for the world of social media um, because I probably wouldn't have much of a career if I wasn't allowed to unchecked, just spout complete bullshit into the social media space. And 
I'm amazed that at some point someone, you know, actually likes it. Um, and there's quite a few people who really don't like it and that's fine too. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me over the past couple of years, I've definitely noticed that, that we see less, less, uh, engagement with content in terms of, you know, let's say, let's take a blog, you know, years ago, actually, I probably, um, you know, started to make, um, some inroads in these areas in, in, because I, I could blog and I wrote my thoughts down and actually someone read them. And, um, and now you just do not get the same level of engagement of, of, of reading. I don't know if you guys find that. No, absolutely. I, uh, I, I guess I started writing a blog to get my thoughts down of, maybe about six years ago or so. And, and honestly, when I started it, um, I, I thought to myself, I really want to be somebody within this profession that is making a positive change. I want to be somebody in this profession that is uh, learning as much as I possibly can. I'm going to write my thoughts down and I'm going to put them out to the people that I know will you know, critically analyze that and rip it apart and all that sort of stuff. So I can kind of, I can learn more and I can learn from my mistakes, but I just want to get my thoughts down. And what I found was that writing a blog caused me to read a tremendous amount more research because I had to at least cite what I was saying or at least support or refute my opinions or somebody else's opinions or whatever it was. Some, some fucker came along and needed you to explain it. Yes, exactly. I couldn't just <laughs> say whatever the hell that I wanted to at least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess Remember, I social media is not peer-reviewed. Uh, well, I felt like if I was going to put my thoughts out there, they needed to be at least supported in some form or fashion. And, you know, early on, I, I would write a blog and it would get, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30,000 reads. There would be a lot of discussion around it. People would be either pissed off or people would like it. They were engaged with it. And recently, Mark and I have have written a couple of, of blogs. We've kind of rekindled the blogging fire with Modern Pain Care. And we've just noticed that there is not the engagement, not the propagation of that blog, not the sharing, not the discussion, not the comments that there used to be. And I don't know if it has to do with the change in people's um preferences that reading something more than you know a couple of hundred words is too time consuming and they don't want to do it or if it has something to do with social media algorithms and how they don't want to uh, have content that is not paid that links to something else links away from their page in in another person's newsfeed. so is this a good thing or a bad thing that people don't do see i wonder if people aren't reading blogs are they reading research you know so so if we're not engaging with blogs uh, uh, can we expect people to actually um in, engage with research and if they're not reading research and they're not reading blogs what are people consuming yeah i think i mean if you look at the attention span of humans online and just reading some things about marketing and stuff it, it just seems to be getting less and less i can't remember the exact numbers but i mean it's it's pretty small to where if you're going to try to expect someone to engage with something that's going to take 20 30 minutes to read um that's just not meeting what current culture is kind of how they're behaving online so i guess the the, uh, you know, look to this graphically, you know, have some eye-opening graphics and things to kind of pull people in and maybe some bullet points and, and or maybe shorter blurb type, uh, um, you know, 
literature or kind of writings around what you're trying to get across seems to be maybe more in line with where folks are moving these days. But uh, it does limit your ability to have that kind of, uh, as I said, nuanced kind of discussion that might get into some of the details. But, you know, I think, you know, we often forget, though, that some of the folks listening to this podcast and us three here probably are, are more apt to want to have that nuanced discussion and get deep into the research and do things. And, uh, you know, just having taught in the profession, both post-professionally and in entry level, I just, you know, see there's a, there's a, you know, separation of maybe, I don't know, 10 to 25% of folks who are really, you know, geared in and dialed into, you know, uh, going that deep into research and things. And then there's the other 75% that are just looking to, you know, and, and that's different priorities for different folks. I'm not saying one being right or wrong, but uh, I mean, I think there's a base of knowledge and, and, uh, keeping up with science that we should all look to have regardless of where our priorities are in life. But um, yeah, I just, I just think there are some people where they, they don't, you know, whether it be time or what family, I don't know. There's just all, we all have different variables in our life that may impact our ability to kind of really consume things into a depth. So um, it's been a challenge, like Jared had mentioned for us, how do we provide, uh, you know, content that is valuable, that is in line with science, but is also something that, um, people are consuming. And uh, I, I don't think we've completely figured that out yet. But as Jared alluded to, uh, the blog format doesn't seem to be, you know, meeting that need for folks at this point. So here's a thought. If, if people's attention spans are decreasing, um, what does that mean then for, you know, a lot of what we're seeing now in the rehab space is moving towards um, you know, improving our communication, being more attentive listeners, having more focus on the person in front of us, right? We're gathering information. We're trying to be the best therapist that we can be. I wonder how does that reflect then? How is that reflected by the behaviours that we see by people on social media? You know, so if as a society we're moving towards this uh, space where we're not so engaged and we're not this and we're not that, um, but we're kind of trying to get people to be more like that, you know. Do, do you see the kind of, do you see the the maybe the, the kind of paradoxical nature of that? I don't know if paradox is the right word, but the oppositional nature of that, where we're getting into somewhere where we're asking people to be more engaged, but we're seeing people be less engaged. You know, it's it's really interesting, and I've, I've done some reading on this, and I, you know, I don't claim to be an expert on it at all, but there, there's quite a bit of research around the design of social media platforms and how they uh, kind of interact with us as we interact with them to, to keep us engaged with that social media platform as long as possible without breaking our attention. But the human, by nature, likes novelty and likes new things and likes movement, likes to laugh, likes to be rewarded. So the social media platforms have been created to constantly bombard us with things that will give us something new to keep scrolling, to look at that next thing, to watch the next video, to go to that next notification, to get the next push notification, to stay on their platform as long as they can. Because every second that we're on a social media platform is another second of marketing in the sidebar or paid marketing or sponsorship or advertisements that ultimately the social social media platforms make their money off of. So I don't know that human beings are losing their attention span in comparison to a hundred years ago, but I think they're being bombarded with and engaging with uh, highly strategic, heavily designed 
uh, interaction meant to keep them scrolling but not engaging deeply. But I don't know if I don't know if I can fail to see how that might change our behavior outside of that space. Well, I guess that's I guess that's really interesting if you if you think about how much you're conditioning yourself with your time on social media, does it change in fact how your endocrine system or your, your nervous system functions outside of that space? It would it probably be a pretty easy sell or pretty easy argument to say that it does change how you interact with uh, the world and your relationships and what you do outside of social media. Yeah, well, there is research that tells us increased social media use has higher levels of depression and higher levels of, you know, kind of anxiety. And we see teenagers who interact with each other now, you know, almost completely in a, in a digital space. So I think that's going to be a really interesting thing that we see in a profession or, or professions that we are driving towards, you know, being more caring and more attentive and more person focused but sometimes the, the 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 platforms that we use are maybe generating the opposite of that. Yeah, I think if you think about like this push for bringing the humanities back to healthcare, and then the and I I kind of agree with where you're going with the, your thoughts, Ben. As far as then you see where we're moving as a society and as a culture of kind of I don't know how you humanize social media. Uh, I mean, I think there's some ways you can I guess uh, in, you know write some engaging content and kind of bury your soul I guess on social media to. Um, so maybe I'm just oh, I buried my soul many years ago in social media. <laughs> yeah, the dark place. <laughs> just to point that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, I think it is interesting. Like you know, and there's you know, we can get into the whole digital you know healthcare delivery models that are coming out now too. As far as um, how do we not lose that humanity piece, um, you know, in a digital format? And I just think sometimes um, you know when we we push for listening and and being present and, you know, all those things as far as good human interaction skills. Um, yet we have social media that, uh, you know, pushes folks maybe opposite of what we may think is, and maybe we'll be wrong. Maybe there is ways to really engage another human being, especially somebody who's suffering with pain and other, other issues that in a digital format that really makes them feel validated, makes them feel listened to. I just, I, I, I struggle, I guess, to see with our current trends in social media, and attention span of, of how we can rectify those two things. Um, but maybe there's some smarter people out there that are going to start developing some ways to do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's something that we we have to solve. Uh, you know, it might just be, it, we, it's just an, an observation, maybe. But it, I just found, I find it interesting. Is dichotomy, would that be a good word? Not sure I entirely know what dichotomy means exactly. Um, but kind of oppositional, I think, is what, what I think it means. Um, but yeah, so okay. I mean, maybe uh, we got into an interesting, um, may, maybe also the different platforms and the divergence of the different platforms have been quite interesting for the current state of what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think the the different platforms seem to uh, cater to different demographics or seem to be, you know, primarily utilized by different different demographics. So, you know, if you look at the user data. Facebook is by far and above the most utilized social media platform in the world, followed by Instagram and Twitter or Twitter and Instagram. I can't remember which one comes next. Um, but you see that everybody makes, you know, quote unquote jokes about, well, Facebook is for my grandparents. My grandparents use Facebook and, you know, that's how they keep in, 
in touch with their friends and family and they post pictures of their grandkids and that sort of stuff. Whereas Instagram seems to be the platform for the 18 or 20, 18 or 20 to like 30 year old. Cause it's mm-hmm. just like, it's exercise videos, it's Instagram models. It's, you know, people with minimal clothes on it's funny stuff. It's boom, 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 boom. You can only have a 60 second video or a picture going on there. Whereas Mark alluded to earlier, Twitter seems to be a place where at least a lot of researchers have decided to uh, spend some of their time and propagate research information, which we're all very thankful for, which I think we would all agree is, has been extremely valuable and impact, impactful on all of our careers to be able to uh, encounter so much information so easily. But you don't see a lot of those same researchers that are on Twitter actually on Instagram with an Instagram platform as well, because I've went purposefully to try to look a lot of them up because I thought, well, maybe they're posting good information over here as well. And you can't find it. Well, that, that makes another issue, doesn't it? If we're talking about, you know, I would say if I have any one redeeming feature and I, you know, that, that would probably be reasonably debatable, um, that, you know, my, my, job probably comes under I read a lot and sometimes I manage to translate some of that information um to to some other people who haven't read it and maybe it inspires them to read it or maybe whatever I don't know um but certainly maybe there again we've got another issue haven't we we've got kind of the, the whole now we're starting to talk about knowledge translation and we've got all these people with these kind of research credentials and producing this information etc on one platform and then we've got all the new therapists on another platform. And, and that does, you know, does that present a problem? I think it definitely presents a problem unless uh, there just happens to be strategic people who are uh, dabbling in both worlds and consuming the information of the knowledge creators and then propagating that information as a knowledge translator. Yeah, I just think, um, you know, you you look at Instagram with like the bullet point research articles and, you know, oftentimes lacking, you know, the critical analysis and and different things. And I just can speak for myself, you know, that were those were not skills I was very uh, good with coming out of my, you know, graduate training and things. So. Um, I just think sometimes it's easy to to put a graphic out there over a study and, and not maybe have that deeper understanding of, of what that represents. And then you see it kind of devolve into, you know, let's grab onto any study that supports my belief system and, and kind of poo-poo anything that doesn't, which, you know, I don't think that's unique to Instagram by any means. But uh, uh, yeah, I just think it, it would be nice to see, uh, like Jared had mentioned, some folks that are in that more research space uh, to maybe dabble in some of the, where these younger clinicians are are hanging out. I think that's part of what, you know, I know you do, Ben, and what Jared and I do as well is try to like share some things that, um, you know, on in that maybe young, younger clinician uh, social media environment that can kind of ideally, you know, translate knowledge and, and knowledge that we feel has some merit to it and, uh, you know, can help them in their careers, you know, because they do get definitely bombarded with so much. I mean, just Instagram feed, just take a peek at it on a day-to-day basis and it's, um, a lot of folks claiming truth and certainty out there where we obviously know science doesn't allow us to have that to a perfect degree. So, um, yeah, it's a challenging environment. I mean, I mean, if we're being honest, though, you know, if you read a lot of research, <laughs> sometimes it claims more certainty than if you read the data from that same research paper does. So, you know, I mean, I, we, you know, just because we have evidence as well, I think that 
you know, we need to accept there is nuance to it. And sometimes some of the social media formats or maybe even all social media to some degree, especially with knowledge walls, you know, in terms of paywalls and things like that, that it becomes easier and easier just to make a statement, doesn't it? You know, we don't even see much discussion around these things. Um, one of the things that I do find interesting is the idea of kind of social capital, likes and shares and these kind of things. And I think as somebody does create some content now and again, um, you know, I do feel like, you know, when we create content, we always feel like someone wants to like it, don't we? You know, it's, uh, it's you know, we never create anything so no one ever likes it or reads it because that would be a, a kick in the bollocks. Um, so, you know, one of the problems I see is sometimes the content that's produced is designed to get more engagement and more likes. But actually to do that, you have to tailor it in a certain way that, you know, gets that, that sometimes isn't where we want to take people. And again, is that another problem? I think that it's a huge problem, uh, and it's the age-old debate <laughs> between giving somebody what they want and giving somebody what they need, I guess you could say, because uh, what when we create content, we create the content because we obviously thought that it was valuable in and of itself. We, we read whatever that information was, or whoever the content creator was, read that information and said, this is valuable stuff. I want to get this out to more people. This really spoke to me. This was meaningful. This has helped my practice. This is good information, whatever it is. But and, and if we're being really honest, it helps our profiles as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's important to point out. You know, I don't want to come across as three altruistic, you know, people giving out of the souls of our heart. You know, we, we've all benefited from it and we have created, um, you know, personalities or profiles that that, that fits as well. Yeah. And I I don't mean to jump in here too, but that is, you bring up one of my pet peeves as far as like where folks are sharing their, their research or their live videos and things. And I mean, granted, if you have a message you believe in, you should find it, you know, your, you know, your purpose to share it to folks. But I I struggle where folks claim it's not marketing and, and things where you're trying to share your message and all that stuff. And I, I freely admit we share our message and it is marketing. We're trying to sell what we have as far as a message to people, because we feel it's the best place. We want to move our profession in different things. But, um, uh, I think you bring up a good point. We do need to recognize that sharing this stuff isn't just, you know, there is, a, you know, it helps our profiles. It helps us yeah. our messages and things and, and, and not in a bad way, not in a disingenuous way. This is, you know, where we feel, uh, you know, we want to move the profession and have a positive impact. But I struggle when, uh, again, folks, you know, share their messages and things, but no, this isn't marketing or any stuff. Uh, I'd, uh, anytime you're sharing a message to try to move somebody and change their thoughts or beliefs around what you're doing, you're marketing. I, I just don't, uh, uh, I struggle to see where there's folks, you know, struggle to identify that. Yeah. Well, I would, yeah, sorry, Jared, you go, buddy. I was just going to say at the end of the day, even if you're not marketing a product, you're always marketing yourself as a person or yourself as um maybe, you know, being in the realm of somebody that's knowledgeable on that topic, or just trying to get pe- uh, more people to be who aware, aware of who you are, because, you know, it, it does potentially lead to opportunities. I wouldn't know either of you two guys, if it weren't for social media, and for all three of us being engaged in that. And, you know, essentially playing the role of marketing ourselves, just simply by having discussion and, and posting information and, and, being there that is in and of itself marketing at the end of the day even if you're directly selling a product 
I, I think there's an aspect of evolution. Certainly from my perspective, it was evolutionary rather than um, certainly not revolutionary, more evolutionary. That <laughs> um, it was never my intended design to to, to create whatever you know I, I've metamorphosized into, and I don't know whether that would be seen as a regression or a progression. But you know, I, I think that there's an aspect of you know you have that marketing aspect. But I would like to think that the message is positive, and I certainly think from you two, we're going to have a bit of a love in now. Um, but I certainly think both your guys, you know, you, you have businesses that have a, a revolve around some of this stuff. But the message is good, and I think it's still a message that people need to hear. And I think researchers are paid to produce research. And they get their capital from researching more and putting more papers out and getting funding. And, you know, in, in some ways, these aren't dissimilar. They build profiles as researchers. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's there's different ways to, you know, produce an impact. And uh, I think, you know, research is definitely a great way. And I'm, it's not maybe my interested way of, of pursuing impact because, you know, statistics and all that stuff make my head hurt because yeah, we're just not smart enough <laughs> yeah, exactly so shit for a living <laughs> but i like to, you know to be able to take some of the good research that's out there and kind of craft a message and craft maybe some uh, a profile that uh, you feel is helping you know move our profession and and to help care folks and pain forward i think um it, it's it's I, I there is a ton of similarities there i think it's uh, just different modes to to positively move the needle forward i think yeah, it's just another channel of communication. And, um, you know, I think sometimes people look down on things like social media because it's not peer-reviewed and you don't have to have a PhD and all these other things, which is perfect for me because I'd be fucked otherwise. But um, at the same point, um, I, I think there are aspects of that that judging by the way that society is changing and changing the way that it, um, you know, digests information, you know, there has to be. See, this is the problem. We get into this point whereby social media is the, the, the pond feed, isn't it? And then research is the ivory tower. And some way, really, it should be seen much more as an ecosystem, shouldn't it? Stop trying to make things, you know, logical and stop trying to make things <laughs> not, not, not reductionist <laughs> and not a false dichotomy because doesn't matter. You're right. It doesn't matter how much research researchers produce if clinicians aren't implementing that research. And it doesn't matter how much clinicians want to implement that research if there's not a way to get that information to those people so they can refine their practice or can come into contact with new information. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't have really one without the other. Yeah, I mean, I actually think I've seen, or certainly I've seen the hyperbole or the the kind of, you know, the way people are talking about things change more in the last two years than I have in the last 20. Um, and so there must be an aspect of knowledge translation going on around exercise, for example. I posted this up, wait for it, on social media the other day. Um, you know, two years ago, it was all load it, load it, load it. And now it's very much... You know, something I want to point out, I've been talking about for a while, not that I want to point that out. Um, but, you know, now it's all person-centred care and biopsychosocial. But, you know, are we getting into a point where we've gone from, a lack, uh, you know, kind of a lack of knowledge to still a lack of knowledge, but with a load of buzzwords? Yeah, that seems to be kind of the, you know, the the marketing strategies that are out there. Is I mean, you're, you're in a 
highly competitive, you know, messaging where people are getting bombarded. And if you read anything marketing wise, you want attention grabbing uh, headlines. You want things that kind of, you know, take somebody who's scrolling through an endless feed of stuff that's, you know, all sorts of different narratives and things in there. And you want to grab that person's attention. So um, it is the balance of giving people what they want versus what they need. And sometimes, you know, in marketing, you give people what they want to, so you can bring them in your ecosystem to ideally maybe help, you know, craft a message with them that, that moves them forward positively. I mean, that's a delicate line to dance, of course. And I know some people are like, you know, that's, you know, bollocks, you shouldn't be, you know, you know, catering to that stuff, but we're de dealing with human beings, you know, and I think if we were, you know, dealing, not everybody, you know, responds to the same messaging and, and, and different things. And I think studying, and this is no different than patients, you know, patients are, are getting bombarded on social media with all sorts of miracle cures and fixes and different things. And um, that's a great point. I don't care. I haven't met a patient who's like, Ooh, look at the effect size on this study that this physio posted <laughs> on there. They, they don't care. They need to have a message that resonates with them. And, 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 I, and that's where I think sometimes if we get so stuck in our like ivory tower researcher, I'm not saying all researchers like this, cause I think most in, in, uh, folks are pretty aware of this, but you, you got to be able to talk at your patient's level and you got and your, your consumer's level. And sometimes that is more of a tell them what they or you know, get, give them what they need and then start, you know, delivering or give them what they want and then start delivering what they need. And as you kind of bring them into maybe your, your ecosystem as in your, whether it be your company or your research, uh, you know, career, whatever it may be. So um, I think we need to be better at being able to translate that stuff to the consumer level. And I think it kind of goes into that a bit. Well, there was a, a study that came out maybe a week or so ago that I saw that was saying, um, I, I think it was a recent study. You never know. Sometimes these things are posted uh, after the fact. But um, they were talking about over the last 30 years, I think, that actually the readability of research is getting harder and harder. So I think their metric was using everyday words and sentence structures and things like that. And they showed this graph. Maybe it was from the 50s, in fact. Um, they showed a graph that showed kind of as time is going on, the readability is getting further and further away from what people are actually, you know, able to read or their level of reading or, or, or what have you. And if we look at, you know, the grand old US of A, how did Trump win the election? <laughs> oh, I'm not going there, brother. <laughs> oh, let's talk about the National Rifle. No, let's not. Um, <laughs> by, by appealing to emotions of people that felt like they had been neglected by, by manipulating a, a group of, of certain type of people or certain demographic or certain uh, in-groups and out-groups that had felt unheard. So he, he played on emotion. I mean, that's what, he also that's what... He also communicated at a level they were able to communicate. Well, yeah, that's that's also very, very true. But yeah, I think that that was one of the things they talked about the reading age that he pitched, um, pitched his kind of message at. And he kind of brought it right down to like eighth grade or something like that. I don't know the exact ins and outs. But certainly, I, I think that maybe in one way that the kind of, you know, the information that we're consuming is going one way. And then people's desire to consume it at is going the other. So the question is, why, why do you think that the readability of research has gotten so much more difficult over time? Is it because there needs to be more word salad to make a, a paper sound better and have a higher likelihood of being published? Have human beings just improved their vocabulary and their IQ? 
that much. You know, what, what's going on here or to, to, to drive that readability of research up? I mean, I think this is probably above my pay grade. <laughs> if, if, you, if you want to write that down, I probably won't read it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting uh, thought process because I think, you know, as knowledge is, you know, as we get more deep into science, you know, maybe our language and our understanding gets more complex, yet we're also then caught in this, you know, kind of void of, well, how do we translate that into something that is... Um, consumable by the general public. And I, I think when you bring up that kind of divide as far as where the language and research is going, yet uh, we're still missing our consumer with it. Um, and if, if anything, drifting farther away from our consumer, I think kind of what I think you do, Ben, and what uh, Jared and I do is, well, let's, you know, not only the consumer as a patient, but a consumer as a, a physio, because I do think um, and a healthcare pro professional in general, I mean, because that stuff, I, I know I read research that makes my head hurt and have to, you know, has to read it like, you know, three to four times to even get a semblance of understanding. Uh, I do think there, there's an, uh, a need out there. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I think, you know, us and others are trying to fill that as like, how do you translate that to something that's palatable to the average professional? And then especially if you're going to be crafting messages to the public, how do you take that, that message and, you know, bring it to that patient's level? I, I that's a, I think a challenging thing. Um, to, to, and it's something I'd have to chew on to kind of figure that answer out. I don't uh, know what... If you'd have asked me five years ago, I'd have probably been able to give you a better answer. I'd say in the last couple of years, certainly my ability to be able to kind of communicate um, it hasn't been as good as some other people's ability to communicate, simply because I'm probably a bit too much word salad in comparison to, to, uh, to taking my top off and doing something on Instagram. Um, I've been thinking about doing that, but I might just go straight into porn. I don't know. I might just skip Instagram. <laughs> I don't know. I've been thinking about it. There must be some weird niche fetish that would have me. Unlikely. Very, very. Yeah, I mean, they must be real sickos, mustn't they, those folk? that You'd only find them on the dark web, I suspect. That's so, it. look, uh, have you, uh, just a question. Have, I, have either of you two been on the dark web recently? I haven't journeyed there, but it's... It, it, uh... Um, if, if that's what I'm expecting to find, it, it does not make me want to journey there anymore. Yeah, could you imagine? There's, I mean, I bought an AK-47, I bought a mountain of cocaine, but I skipped over Ben naked. And I think, yeah. and I think that and I, I think that would be a fair comment. So, look, I'm going to ask you guys. Um, we said at the beginning we were going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And actually, I think we've got in deeper than I thought we were going to get in to here and I, I, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation mostly because I haven't had to you know I could just talk and be myself um, if we were to say what's the good what's the good now in social media what's the virtues what's the you know what's, what's the positives um, well if I had to if I had to make it simple the good is the ability to connect with people across the world that have a different culture, background, education, training, understanding of things than, than you do and learn from them. The ability to uh, consume information and, and have uh, avenues for acquiring that information that I wouldn't have had without it. And the ability to, to hopefully <laughs> propagate really good information to society as a whole to maybe try to go against some of the not as good information that they may have come into contact with in the past. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say that has to be, um, we have to be playing on some kind of level playing field here, don't we? 
where, you know, we have all this bad information and we have, you know, uh, and we have to be able to, you know, I, I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Jason Silverner. He kind of wait, wait, works his way onto every single one of our episodes in some format or another. Um, but I think he was saying, you know, we have to get better at marketing. You know, we have to get better at marketing good information. Um, and so, therefore, there are going to have to be uh, people who are involved in that. And I suppose um, that can't be all bad. Uh, for myself, I suppose, I have to be thankful that I have a career because of social media. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't. Um, but also, you know, I do think there are lots of uh, there are there are lots of positives. I think people often like to find negatives, don't they? Because that's uh, human beings as a whole. Um, what do you think, Mark? What do you think of the positives here? I think you know Jared probably you know took most of my answer. Thanks a lot, Jared. But Austin, um, isn't he? Yeah, he is just selfish. But uh, you know, I, I do like the you know ability to kind of bring different cultures. I mean, you're reaching across uh, you know borders and uh, you know internationally and being able to see uh, different uh, folks uh, that different belief systems and different perceptions of the world um, and uh, you know kind of maybe you know translate knowledge a little bit more broadly instead of just assuming that because this message in this culture resonates and, and meets maybe this cultural belief system that it may not in others I mean there's just a ton of stuff I think we can learn from social media as we see, you know, different cultures kind of disseminate similar information. But um, it just also, I think, gives folks that may have, <clears throat> have been disconnected. Maybe it's a patient who's been disconnected from a healthcare system uh, and just frustrated and feel like they have nobody that's speaking to them or listening and hearing them. Um, you know, I you see, you know, some of these patients who I know in some of our groups, we don't offer medical advice, of course, but we have patients who um, are you know stumble upon some of our Facebook groups and uh, are hugely thankful that we're having some of these discussions and it's starting to resonate with them and you know you see Gilletta Beltons and others who've kind of sought out their own answers without healthcare and others through social media channels and some of the channels that social media has given us that um, I think there's a ton of good I th but I mean with that good comes danger of some of the messages that also are able to be propagated but we'll, we'll maybe save that for when we get into the bad part of the discussion but yeah I think the availability of knowledge and, and the ability for people to seek out, you know, maybe help and answers to some of the struggles they're having, uh, whether it be professionally or personally or both. Um, uh, I think it, it, it can be a very, you know, good place for that. So we move our way on to the bad. And I don't know, I get the sense sometimes that people do see um, social media often as a negative. You know, I get the feeling that, you know, but that, that, you know, sometimes we shouldn't be allowed to, to give our opinions and that they, the opinion should be put in a research paper and that people shouldn't be allowed to talk about things unchecked, that everything needs to be peer-reviewed, et cetera, et cetera. So I get the sense often there's quite a negative perception, certainly from academia, of the world of social media, but they don't seem to be filling that space. Um, what, do, what do you think the bad and the dangers of, of social media are? Um, you go first, Jared. Go on, you beautiful man. <laughs> so I, I guess this this kind of resonates with what we talked about at the Oxford debate because we were claiming that social media could be hazardous. And, and I think that we've already touched on this. <clears throat> Just as there's potential for propagation of great information, there's a lot of potential for propagation of bad information. And uh, whoever has the willingness to spend the most money on marketing can spread that you know, paid marketing can spread that bad information further and wider. Uh, at the same time, we we mentioned the 
positive correlation line between depression and social media usage. And uh, I think that the bad could be that people are oftentimes engaging in social media to disengage with other things. And uh, that, that maybe doesn't lead to the best mental health, which we know in what we do potentially contributes to somebody's uh, uh, experience of pain or their experience of disability and that sort of thing. So I think that you can draw some really interesting connections between all of this stuff. And then and finally, uh, one of the things that we haven't really mentioned at all, which was a talking point of mine at the, 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 at the debate, was the fact that when you do get on social media and you scroll through that news feed and you see people posting pictures and you see people posting videos, you're just looking at people's highlight reel all the time. You're being bombarded with the best of everybody else's life, the best of what they can produce, their best meal, their best vacation, their best job, their best everything, rather than seeing uh, the struggles that all human beings have, you don't, mm. which, can, which can cause you to have uh, maybe a little bit of dissatisfaction with your own life because you're perceiving that everybody else is in a, in a better position than you are doing more than you because you're only seeing their highlight reel. Okay, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, a really a, a really uh, important point to to you know we don't often share failures, do we? Um, we do kind of give across this this vision of uh, of what's best. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I like the highlight real thoughts because I do think it's an easy way to feel inferior in your own you know practice or more own kind of life if you're watching everybody's kind of. Uh, highlights of how everything's going well. I, you know, the thing I've appreciated about uh, you, Ben, Jared, and even, you know, listening to Peter O'Sullivan last week was that, you know, the, the open discussion of failure, um, that it isn't just a highlight reel in you know, clinical practice and in, in life, that there is, is the, is that reality that we all face and it's, it's okay. You know, we're, we're human beings, we're not perfect. And um, we don't hit home runs with all our patients. Uh, you know, of course we like to share our our wins and our, our highlights, but uh, I do think there's some benefit of sharing some of our failures. And I think we make attempts to do that actively just to, you know, I think sh- to me show a little bit more legitimacy as a practitioner and not that everybody's getting better that, you know, we, you know, still are trying to work through this stuff ourselves. Um, you know, I think <clears throat> the other thing bad about social media, and I kind of alluded to it early on, is just, I think as your development as a, you know, a good communicator, uh, you know, progresses in your life. I know just earlier on, and this goes into brain development and I had kind of joked about it myself, but I think, you know, our ability to kind of reason and kind of blunt out some of the emotional parts of our brain, um, you know, don't develop, you know, till our mid to late twenties, depending on who you read. And I, I just think that that's a spot where, you know, some of this communication can turn pretty nasty and emotions can come out and it, it kind of can block the ability to have professional discussion. I just see sometimes, yeah, discussions devolving into this emotional kind of, you know, uh, ad hominem throwing, you know, and insulting the other person and instead of really just, you know, trying to pump the brakes on your emotions, really take a rational look at what the other person's saying, critique their argument, not the other person. And it's just sometimes it gets, you know, it's hard to have those um, professional dialogues. And I'm not going to by any means claim that I've been innocent of this. I get frustrated with some of the messages out there. And still will have some emotional reactions that uh, I, you know, maybe reflect back on saying maybe I could approach that a little bit better. But I mean, that's just part of a, a growing human being. But I do think some of the 
especially earlier on in life, man, if I had social media when I was in my teens and then my early twenties, I, I, I don't know if I would still be, <laughs> if I would have made it into grad school or any of that stuff, just cause I know, um, my filter was not always at its, at its top uh, functioning order. And, uh, I mean, I just think there's a lot that I think our younger generations, you know, are, are probably learning on the fly that I, and I know there's some specifics they get kind of educated on as they're kind of growing and, and getting to use social media, but it's, it can be a very powerful tool, but it can be a very damaging tool, both personally and professionally. Yeah, I, I think that, well, saying that, I mean, we're seeing that your requirements for interaction are becoming less and less anyway. So maybe we hit the uh, zenith of um, that kind of, you know, aspect of social media, you know, because I think maybe we've come down the other side of that now. I don't see so many vitriolic conversations, certainly uh, maybe uh, as I did two or three years ago. But yeah, it definitely doesn't encourage us to be our best selves, does it, sometimes social media? There's no ramification, is there, of being a dick or being an arsehole. So, um, you know, all that someone might do is block you. You know, there's, there's not, you can choose not to respond or, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I am going to hit in with the last question. Um, so what's the ugly, what's the damn ugly of um, social media? Probably our three pictures. <laughs> that, that is true. And all of the shit that comes out of my mouth. But let's exclude us from the debate and say, what's, you know, be opinionated. Be the bastard that I know you are. <laughs> the, the ugly of social media is probably what you were just mentioning a second ago. The, the keyboard warriors, the ability to say things behind a screen and behind a keyboard that you would never say in real life. The ability to have, uh, you know, sexist, racist, bigotrist comments and, and just say terrible things to people that if you were sitting across the table from them, you would you would never in your right mind say, and essentially to get away with it because you might live in a different city or you might live in a different state or you might live in a different country. And what are they going to do to you? They're just going to block you. And, and I think that there's a, there can be a bit of a, the, the ugly, there can be a, a mob mentality kind of, you know, where there, there might be uh, people the that pain science crowd. Yes. <laughs> the, worst. the worst mob in the world. Yeah. Just raging at people with their <laughs> stories about how you nociceptors just and nociceptors and pain. You just talk people's pain away and that's all you do. Uh, no, I, th I think that there's a, there can be a little bit of a, a I mean, social media, it there's groups. I'm in this group. I am in that group. I am in, you know, I have this label and, and we know from a lot of psychological research that simply labeling somebody or being in a group automatically causes you to have aggressive tendencies towards whatever that other group is. It's us versus Ooh. them at the drop of a hat. Wow. So Mark, Jared was quite general there. I'm going to paint you into a corner and say, I want you to be a little bit more specific about the ugly in rehab. The ugly in rehab on social media. Um, the ugly is just a propagation of kind of bogus narratives and bogus, you know, pretty much, you know, science debunked uh, narratives around uh, patient care that our patients are reading and, and still, you know, maybe ascribing to that moves them further from um, maybe a living well with pain state, I guess, or, or moving forward to where obviously maybe even, you know, alleviating pain and, and living a valued life. But 
Um, I do think the ugly too is just we get folks who get, um, and I think Jared and I fight this and try to be you know conscious aware of this all the time is that we're all we are biased human beings and we have our our different folks that uh, that ascribe to our message and, and tend to you know be our supporters on social media. So we tend to get a a, a big echo. We try to avoid the echo chamber and actively seek out alternative narratives, but. We also see, you know, folks who have their tribe, I guess, or folks, and you start having some, it's hard to have some constructive dialogues, especially if that folk person's, you know, financially invested in their message and belief system. I think um, we've purposely tried to create messages that are flexible, that aren't ones that are rigid in stone, that if you don't treat this exact way this day, because science isn't going to stay stationary. And if, if our thoughts and beliefs are, are stationary, it's not going to be, uh, you know, in line with what, um, you know, knowledge translation and knowledge development will be. But yeah, I just think it gets ugly with some of the the messages out there that folks that are more interested in, in brand versus, you know, uh, you know, being a, a good profession, evidence-based practitioner that's um, keeping up with science and not um, stopping because their brand has them parked in one belief system or way of kind of viewing the world and the knowledge around pain and the knowledge around patient care. Um, I just think uh, that can be a dangerous thing that, again, I think being consciously aware of it and, and taking steps to be consciously critiquing your thoughts, your views, everything you're teaching. Um, I just don't see enough of that on social media. And I think it is dangerous because, you know, we see it in manual therapy training where we're still teaching people about, you know, specific rib dysfunctions, you know, affecting breathing and different things um, that we have and that we're going to be magically able to palpate them and determine, uh, you know, one specific manipulation is going to fix that. I just think there's a lot of stuff that's still getting taught out there um, that, uh, you know, does not move us in a positive direction. Yeah, we could say that one of the problems, I'm, I suppose I'll leave us with one last point. We could say that one of the problems is that actually, you know, it must be quite difficult in some ways for the, the young younger generation. And does that, I'm not sure, does that include Jared, the younger generation? Or is he like a middle generation? I don't know. Um, but if you imagine you've got these, the, these young people coming up now, you know, you, you, we go to university in the UK at 18, um, or you can do. And so you're going to be in a classroom potentially where you're being given information that's well out of date, but then you can get all this up-to-date information on Instagram or not up-to-date, but you, you know what I'm saying. So does this create aspects of conflict and confusion? And I think that might be troubling for some people, this kind of confliction and, uh, and confusement. Confusement? Is that a word? I don't know. Um, so confusology? I, um, I don't know where we're going with this anyway. But no, gentlemen, um, you've, yeah, we've, I think we've had a really interesting discussion today. Um, you know, come away from maybe our, our more technically based, you know, pain is an experience kind of crap. Um, and we've talked a little bit more freely and I kind of like that. I feel a bit closer to you guys right now. If I could give you a metaphorical hug, I, I would. Um, but yeah, that's episode 11, social media. Um, you know, certainly haven't solved social media. We've probably highlighted more problems than we have anything else. Um, but I think personally on the net balance, it, it's a positive and it's doing positive things and it's created more careers than many people would like to like to admit potentially uh, many people have benefited from it even though they might not like to say they have um i'm certainly not bothered about that but gentlemen as always a pleasure um i like the way that i get to have the last word it's just the best um i'm ben it's been wonderful being with you um and goodbye 
You have been listening to the Clinical Thinker podcast. Be sure to follow Ben, Mark and Jared on social media. Until next time, keep thinking.